Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that illuminates a wide range of challenges and triumphs our military-connected kids experience. My name is David Perez-Guerra, and I'll be your host today. This episode was made possible thanks to the support from the Eglin Spouses Club. The webinar team recently presented Understanding Financial Aid for Military Families. Joining the Q&A was Mark Patton, MSEC's very own military student consultant. Today I'm talking with Mark to revisit the financial tips he has for paying for college, to review some pitfalls to be aware of ahead of the application process, and to highlight resources to help navigate the world of financial aid for military families. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I am a retired Air Force and a retired counselor and school teacher uh, in the state of North Carolina. When I was in the Air Force, I uh, flew. I grew up military child. I uh, was an officer in the Air Force husband who left the wife behind, that left the kids behind when I deployed. And then years later, I was the spouse left behind when my wife deployed. Um, so I've done all the roles that can be done. And I added uh, wedding planning to that second one because she took off just before we got serious about wedding plans. So, uh, But I've been working for MSEC now for coming up on eight years. Uh, over the years, because of my experience in teaching and sitting on different uh, scholarship boards in the state of North Carolina, and uh, nationally on ROTC boards and academy pre-selection boards. Um, I've kind of gained a degree of experience, uh, some say expertise on the process. And I'm all about talking to parents and families about the process of getting ready to apply for college admission and for scholarships, financial aid. You know, in this process itself, I've heard a thousand times that you can never start too early. And I think maybe that's a great place to start. So you're a, a sophomore or a junior in high school, and you're starting to think about what your career is going to look like after high school. Talk about choosing the right school, finding the right fit, and let's go ahead and start there. Well, the first thing I would say, since you mentioned sophomore, is if you're serious about the military academies, you start your sophomore year. Probably the single most important part about applying to an academy uh, is to understand the nomination process within the state that you reside in. That process is often as long as the academy uh, selection process because you have to have that nomination uh, to get in as well as being accepted. But when you're considering a, as a sophomore or a junior even and you're looking, it's what kind of school? do you want to go to? Yeah, it's fun to think about what your career is and you kind of going to have that in the back of your mind, but start initially thinking, what do you want to go to? Do you want to go to a public school? Is there something about a private school? Um, is your career going to require a four-year degree? Is it going to require just a two-year degree? We're seeing more and more thanks to COVID uh, and what we're seeing in terms of our hands-on careers, uh, rather than engineering, you can get a technology degree and be making handsome salaries uh, right out of two-year high school or, or two-year community college or if you're fortunate enough that your school system has a joint project, when you graduate high school, you're also graduating with an associate degree and you're starting. Uh, for instance, I live near Carteret, in Carteret County, North Carolina, and of course, boating, fishing, all that's the big industries. We have a lot of kids who at 18 already have their own boat, have their certifications, and are pulling down $60, $70 an hour. And at 18 years old, that's pretty good. 
And then that lets them set into what do I want to do as my next step? That's not for everybody. But uh, you also need to look at what do you want around that university? What lifestyle do you want? Do you want to have a gymnasium? Do you want to have outside opportunities? Or do you want to just be on campus and be that student and and be serious about your studies? And those, those are also discussions to have with your parents and what their expectations are. And then lastly, your specialty colleges. If your career is such that you want to do, for instance, culinary or your degree in that with a follow-on at one of the institutes and along the way being able to have internships with chefs. And we're thanks to COVID and, and these last couple of years, we're learning more and more that some of our young kids are getting certified and and jumping into the chef world in a lot of big restaurants and it doesn't have to be in big cities we have one that was just featured on uh guy fieri's show sitting right here in moorhead city and it's right on the end of the coast so um, those careers have changed considerably so those are things you want to find that fit once you've decided this is what i want to do for a living what's that fit before we start diving into the actual financial aspects of this application, let's talk about applying to a school and what to include in an application and, and exactly how to communicate that information so that it's meaningful to an evaluation committee. Absolutely. When you when you look at an application, after you get through with just the basics, you need to think back through what were my extracurriculars. Hopefully you have some kind of a resume. So you're not trying to be a senior to remember, what did I do my freshman year? Um, I can't say that enough. Start your freshman year making a checklist. It's not a resume. Just what things did you do? Did you do sports? Did you do clubs? Uh, what did you do in outside organizations that had an impact on your school career? Number two, letters of recommendations. I emphasize this a lot because the first question is, who am I going to ask? If you want to go be uh, a rocket scientist, it's probably not going to fit real well if you ask your English teacher to write a letter of recommendation. You want someone to be able to talk about your abilities in a course that you had that is reflective of your, your career uh, path and your course of study in the future. Um, now, they may write you a very nice essay, but you want to make sure at some point you have someone who can talk about what it is you hope to do in the future and what was those foundation courses in it. So I always tell anybody looking engineering, you want at least one math and one science recommendation. And then another one's going to be somebody in the public that you've interacted with, whether it's a youth group uh, or if you happen to be in band, your band director could talk about leadership opportunities. You always want to provide that recommender a resume. Let them know everything you've done in your life so they can reflect on that. Right. I love that in the slides that you shared with me, you included a list called Maximizing You. Can you talk a little bit about that list and why that's so important? So both applying to schools and applying for scholarships, you are selling yourself to that university, to that scholarship board. So you want to talk about what is your background? What is your ethnicity? And as much as we downplay that nowadays, ethnicity talks about cultural things. You want to let them know what is it about you um, that may be uh, exceptional, may be different, that makes you stand out from somebody else. You want to talk about your hobbies. You want to talk about the odd things that you might be left-handed because there are left-hand scholarships out there. There are bi-eyed scholarships out there. If I don't say SchoolQuest and FastWeb later on, I'll say it right now. SchoolQuest and FastWeb, easiest tools to use. If you have any disabilities, you want to talk about those. 
where you've lived, for our military-connected kids especially. Talk about the number of times you've moved, how that's had an impact on you. Did it cause some kind of a big downturn? Did you move somewhere where you didn't feel accepted and how that impacted you? Or did you go somewhere where you were readily accepted and you were able to excel in your studies or in a sport? Don't hesitate to talk about your family background. Are you a first generation of some type? What's your sports if you did sports? Those are all key factors that you want to do talk about in terms of that maximizing you. That's great. One last thing I want to talk about before we actually dive into the financial end is social media. In my world, I counsel classes and talk to kids about being very, very careful about what their social media presence looks like and how that's going to play out um, in the um, application process for college. Do you have some thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, I actually take time during my presentation to, to look at parents and look at students and say, whenever you're applying to a university or to a scholarship, realize you're presenting yourself Number one, your social media will be researched by all of them in all likelihood, but use an email that is a professional-looking email. I, I most of the time simply suggest first, last name, and if you've got a common name, put a number after it, and Gmail or Yahoo, something that's just a standard email. It doesn't look well when you a board is reviewing your record and there's three or four different emails and each reviewer is looking and seeing a different email, and then they have to say, do we have the right student here? Uh, have had that happen on more than one occasion. So that professional name starts there. Number two, remember on social media, it's not just you. It's your friends. It's what your your friends might be doing that you're in the background. It's the comments that they make. And there's been lots of stories about people losing out on opportunities because of something a friend said that they happened to hit like when they really meant to go, I didn't really want to do that. Um, our kids are learning that the, the hard way. Uh, I know of at least one scholarship athlete at a major university who was suspended for uh, a semester and lost her scholarship because she was holding a beer bottle in the back of a picture at a party that had nothing to do with drinking. It just happened to be a bottle they picked up to talk about in, in a game of charades, and it happened to be a beer bottle. And the university went through and looked, and sure enough, there was underage, there was all this. She lost that slot. Yeah, no doubt. The power of social media is, is a great thing and a terrible thing all at the same time. I always tell students that I counsel that uh, the internet's your friend and it's also your biggest enemy. Um, well, and often, you know, they feel like they're, hey, I've got this, I've got this. But what they don't realize is it's exponential when it's their friends. Right. Absolutely. And one little word or one little phrase gets exponentially forwarded. So let's go ahead and dive into the financial end of all this. So what is uh, one of the most frequent questions you receive regarding paying for college? Number one, number one is residency. When it comes to our military families, uh, you have families who are PCS to a certain uh, place. They may have come on active duty in another place, but they have a state of residence in another place. And they have to figure out where do I fit? What do I look at in terms of potential financial aid? Uh, my number one rule is don't hesitate if you're applying to a school to talk to that financial aid office. Most of the major universities now have a veteran service officer or office uh, on board, and they can help you wicker through that. Generally speaking, it's where you're living that you pay your taxes is what a university is going to look at. 
Uh, that's not always the case. Pub, uh, private schools have a little more leniency uh, on it. Um, for instance, there's a school in Maryland that allows people at Quantico who are stationed at Quantico, regardless of their home of record, they only charge them in-state tuition. But that is that particular school's and I only learned that from a parent who actually called the school and asked him. So I called the school and they said, yes, we do, just so that I could put that in my repertoire when I'm working. Number two, I guess I would have to say, do I have to fill out the FAFSA, the Federal uh, Financial Aid Form for Students? And that is a yes. Uh, and that is not so much for the parent and the student as it is for the university to be able to accept money from the federal government that they can then pass on in scholarship form. Another question I have um, regards a military student in transition. If a family is moving from um, one duty station to another and it happens to cross that short period of time where residency can be established in a state, are they, as, as a military student, are they accepted as an in-state tuition student then in their new location or do they still have to complete the time requirement? All states now accept military PCS for in-state. In fact, in 2018, a law was passed within the first three years of separating or retiring. Any university in the United States that accepts uh, federal money can only charge in-state tuition to those students. Thanks for that. What are some of your favorite resources that you like to share regarding the topic of financial aid? Our SchoolQuest tool that USAA uh, funded is a phenomenal tool to begin with just in helping move records electronically. I have a horror story again of a family who's waiting on school records to show up because the movers act accidentally picked up that suitcase. Uh, SchoolQuest lets them be transmitted electronically, which means if it's your senior year, you have access to things that their college is going to need. But tied into that is FastWeb.com, financial aid for students on the web. It's been rated the number one tool for over 30 years now. I mean, there are other tools, but in terms of overall, it has a huge database of scholarships. It has all the odd scholarships. It has state level scholarships. It has national level scholarships. It's very vibrant and it makes things a lot easier because you sit down with parents and the student, fill it out, and then each of you get a notice, an email, when that comes out and that you're eligible. It does all the hard work for you. Back in my day, we had three books that were about four inches high and you leafed through those books manually to find scholarships you were eligible for. And they actually had classes where they would just cancel class. You would go in and you'd get book A. And for that next hour, you leaf through that one trying to find scholarships. So FastWeb is by far the one of the best and easiest tools to use to find those scholarships. And then within FastWeb, you can actually go in and find out what the state offers. So if you're active duty or if you're a veteran, and let's say we use North Carolina as an example. If your child was born in North Carolina while you were on active duty or you came into North Carolina on active duty when you first came in, once you are in zero to 100% rating on the VA, there's a whole separate board of scholarships that can be matched along with chapter 35 for the, from the VA for our 100% disabled veterans. And in North Carolina, if you have any of that as combat service connected, there's a whole nother pocket such that with Chapter 35 and the tuition waiver scholarship, a lot of kids are having their room or their board paid for 
So the parents really are just paying for one of those two. Fees are paid for and everything. Each state's a little different. Texas has the Hazelwood Act. They pretty much will pick up whatever's left to be paid after Chapter 35 than anything else that, that comes out. And then a little known one that I, I always ask the parents, what's your history in the military? If you're active duty, where'd you serve? Uh, because there are often unit scholarships that are not small. The Special Forces, for instance, has a huge scholarship, uh, and it's actually called the Unit Fund. That's it. And you only know it if you're in it. But it's a large fund um, for uh, kids to be able to go to school. And then a lot of it's the misnomers. There's scholarships out there for the military through the Fisher House. That's my number two. It's Fisher House scholarships are also part of FastWeb, but you can get into that search database separately. And that's your defense commissary agency, your housing, Corvius, and some of the other contractors. They have scholarships, and the misnomer is, oh, I've got to live on base. You do not have to live on base. You just have to be within that catchment uh, to be eligible for that scholarship, and you're a parent assigned to that base, but you don't have to live in that housing. You mentioned Chapter 35 a couple of times as we were just discussing this. Can you give me a little bit more background on exactly what Chapter 35 is? Sure. Chapter 35 is a benefit uh, through the VA at the 100% level uh, for all kids and spouses, uh, for any member who is uh, declared 100% permanent in total through the VA. Um, and that process can sometimes be very long, and sometimes it's not that long. To actually get verification, it's uh, two pages, a two-page form you fill out online, and you turn it in, and then you get a certificate of eligibility, which is basically the VA verifying your parents uh, or your spouse's uh, 100%. And then you send that to the University Financial Aid Office, and they know what to do with that form there. Um, for our younger folks, they're going through that VA process as part of their uh, retirement, their TAPS, um, or their separation TAPS briefing. They actually have a VA uh, briefing within that. Back when I retired, it was just a bye, looks like you're healthy, see you later. Um, and we're learning more and more that our veterans, especially with the new PACT Act uh, that's come in, more and more are 100% eligible because of the breathing issues and all of that. With regard to the GI Bill in Chapter 35, do schools uh, consider those as primary sources or are you still eligible for other elements of financial aid if you've qualified for one or the other? So uh, let's let's make sure I separate. GI Bill is uh, separate from Chapter 35 benefits. You actually can use those together. It's pocketed money. There's a limit to that. Well, I mean, there's a limit to Chapter 35 also. The 2018 change uh, made it so that you had 15 years. Once you transferred to your child, they had 15 years to use that. We often tell Chapter 35, use Chapter 35 for your undergrad, save the VA, save the GI Bill for a higher level degree if you want. Um, and that can be split between your kids. Chapter 35 is not split. It is Chapter 35 eligible for every child you have. So I have a family of five right now. Three are going to be in college next year, and they're all working separate Chapter 35 funds. Now, in terms of – and that, that's a benefit. The GI Bill, it's, it's each school is a little different. It does not make you ineligible for any merit-based scholarship. You're still totally eligible for that. What it likely rules you out of, though, is any Pell Grant, any other federal money. So, for instance, let's say you got an ROTC scholarship. If you have an ROTC scholarship, by law, you cannot have Pell Grant money. 
So Mark, let's talk a little bit about the Yellow Ribbon Program and what advice you would share with families. But first, if you could give us a little description about the program itself. So the Yellow Ribbon Program is also through the VA. It is for veterans who are 100% uh, again, um, or they may have received the Purple Heart. There's a couple of other requirements in there, but it basically is another way to fund costs that the post-9-11 uh, post GI Bill doesn't cover. Um, it can be in addition to Chapter 35. Each school is going to have a different level for Yellow Ribbon, and uh, as soon as you put an application in, once you indicate that you're military connected, you are going to get, uh, you should get through your financial aid office, a uh, automatic Yellow Ribbon kicker, and they'll tell you what process they use, how much you might have available. For instance, a, a private school that's going to have higher tuition fees. This can help cover that. The school makes a decision at what level they do it, and everybody's a little bit different. So I always tell the parents, if you think Yellow Ribbon's a player, call the school financial aid office. Find that one counselor that you can deal with all the time. And they'll know because you're going to give them a COE, that, that certificate of eligibility I talked about. You're going to, once they get that, that should trigger yellow ribbon automatically. But if you don't get something, just make that phone call. How does a student or how does a family find out exactly what it costs to attend a particular school? There's several instruments uh, online that will do it that'll calculate for uh, different schools. But the bottom line is when you're when you're looking at that, you're looking at tuition, room and board, your meal plan if you want to buy one through the university. Years ago, they were deemed not cost effective. I think nowadays they probably would say they are. If there's any required insurance in addition to what you might have with TRICARE, books, supplies, most universities now require a computer. And unfortunately, especially in our professional degrees, they have specific requirements such that you almost have to go through the university to get it. So it's loaded with all the right stuff, especially through COVID. The university I teach for transitioned from Blackboard to Canvas. And I can't imagine what it was like for the students because it was not f easy for me. And I was writing, I was just writing the courses. And then if there's any transportation or travel, and, I, and, and that whole conversation is what can the parents afford and include all those extra things like, are they gonna need a car at some point? What's the travel um, beyond what the basics of tuition, room and board and university related fees are? Can a student anticipate that once they've been accepted into college and they're uh, doing well academically, that the financial aid that they're receiving will stay consistent from year to year? Is there a reapplication process? How does that all work? Every school is different and every scholarship is different. Uh, for instance, Chapter 35 just changed. You now have to validate that you completed each month. The students are telling me it's not difficult that you just do it online, but you have to do it month to month now. Um, so everyone's a little bit different in terms of uh, what the requirements are. Some have a GPA requirement. Um, several organizations, for instance, Air Force Association has a zero interest loan that they will give you, which I tell all of them, take it. It's zero interest. Uh, have that before anything else. As an extra motivation, your freshman year, if you make Dean's List, they take $500 a semester off the back end. If you do that your sophomore year, they take $1,000. And then your last two years, they take $1,500. And it may be more now. I'm using my experience with my daughter, bless her heart, 
straight A's the whole time. So of all of her loans, she did not have to pay a lot of it back. And I know uh, Army Emergency Relief has a fund like that. I'm pretty sure the Navy Society has a fund. And I want to say American Legion may have a fund like that that's 0% interest. And I, I, I tell them, don't discount that. That may be your child may want to go to Duke. That may be the kicker that lets them go to Duke after they get all the initial scholarship stuff from Duke. There's still going to be something left over or Princeton or any large university. You can look at that zero interest loan and say it's really not costing you money to use that. I guess as we close this up, is there any overriding thought or anything you would like to share with a with a military family or any family for that matter that is starting to evaluate what's next for their kids? Number one, professional presence. Start thinking about that your sophomore year, especially when you're looking at the academies. If you've moved, if you're like most military kids and you've moved a lot, reflect back on when you're writing your essays, and I should say, Scholarship and college mission essays, tutor.com. Take advantage of tutor.com where you can submit those essays for review before you ever submitted to your application. They'll be reviewed for content and grammar. There's nothing like having a leadership essay and me reviewing it. It simply says, you know, tell us about your leadership style and give us an example. And we literally read a dissertation about leadership. Our first thought is that mom and dad write this, number one. Number two, you didn't really answer the question. And so you have a tool available now that's free uh, for our military-connected families. In, in most cases, now they've kind of made some COVID waivers to where you can have that reviewed. I've gotten some feedback from a couple families where their child used it, and they feel like it had a big impact on them being selected. Uh, they didn't, one of them didn't win the big, big scholarship. They still won 50 grand a year, um, but they didn't win the 100 grand a year. Um, they think the essay had had something to do with it. So that's that one other tool that, that we talk about. And then, again, realize that it's a financial decision on the part of the university. They're all, they want to love your kids, but they also want to love your money and, and talking with them. And the reason I say that is you may make a mistake on your FAFSA. I did. When I got the bill, I had two in college. When I got the bill that said, you can afford $31,000 a year, I was like, um, no, I teach. I don't think so. And so I went into the office and I said, can somebody help me understand this? And ladies, and at the time, you know, back in the day, everyone was doing IRAs. And so I had a bunch of IRA money and they're like, um, those aren't investments. That's retirement. And she clicked one thing off the screen and we went from being able to afford to my daughter getting $6,500 uh, for the year, uh, for that one year when we had two in college. Um, so, and if you have several, like my family that's got three going, I said, you're now going to qualify for some need-based scholarships at the university. That financial aid office won't know that three are going to college unless you tell them. I know there's some stigma that has been associated with borrowing for school. Can you talk a little bit to families about the fact that these tools exist, not just to make school available to them, but because there is need out there? Sure. You kind of have in your mind what you can afford, but you, if you haven't taken time to see what the total cost is, you're lagging behind in the equation in terms of, oh, I really can afford more, or maybe I can't afford more. You may be looking at you know, what you could afford 
per month if you had to pay versus talking to the university and letting them put you on a calculator. Um, there's a couple. The best one that I've used and we have pushed before is the Department of Education's net price calculator. Um, it lets you put in the uh, school. Uh, it'll bring the costs up and then you put in what you know about yourself what monies you might have, and then it kind of comes up with a pre-plan and makes you smarter when you're talking to that university. Every family's different. <laughs> and like I'm right now working with one that they're in Germany and their son wants to go into aerospace engineering. And I'm like, okay. So I called my nephew who I hate to say is now a senior manager with Boeing. And I said, hey, I got it. Just a basic question. Kid's been accepted to Penn State but he's only gone to school in Germany since that's where his dad was stationed. They retired and he's working there and he's gone to German school. So he's thinking of German university and he goes, well, Uncle Mark, he won't get a job in the U S I'm like, why? He goes, they don't have accredited programs there. I'm like, what accrediting? So he sent me this thing. I spent probably three hours today reading about engineering and technology certification and international agreements. What's the one country we don't have one with Germany. And he was even able to share with me about he does hiring now. And he said, I just had someone who worked at Cessna. And he said, Cessna is a big company, but it's not a tier one company. He said, this guy had 30 years and the, I wanted him. And the bosses are like, nope, he has no certified, ABET certified degree. I'm like, who knew? Well, Mark, we really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. And we will make sure that in the podcast notes that our listeners can find some of these resources. Okay, and by by all means, uh, either email me or uh, at uh, go to the website and look for military student consultant at militarychild.org or email me directly at mark.patton at militarychild.org. I really appreciate Mark joining the conversation. He has such a wide range of knowledge, not only on financing college, but other aspects of the application process. If you are interested in watching the entire webinar, the link will be included in the show notes. We will also include Mark's contact information if you need the assistance of MSEC's Military Student Consultant Program. Thanks for listening to the MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you enjoyed this episode, like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to leave us a comment to let us know the topics you want to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Eglin Spouses Club for supporting this episode, and we hope you will too by giving today's show a five-star rating. For more information about MSEC programs, go to militarychild.org. Until next time, this is David Perez-Guerra, and we thank you for supporting the Military Child Education Coalition.